1: How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Informed Secular Minds Podcast. With me, as always, is Scott. That's at El Duterino on Twitter and on Periscope. I am Corey at Dopinephrine on Twitter and on Periscope. And follow our show at ISMPodcast underscore on Twitter and Periscope as well. Very, very excited to have everybody with us this evening. Our Periscope is live. Uh, For anybody who can't get us on Blog Talk Radio, um, you can uh, tune in live um, uh, right there by going into Periscope and following ism podcast underscore that's being hosted by young Athlon three nine nine He helps us out every week and as always, we want to give a big thank you to Cat is Cat that 's all Hallow's night on Twitter. Um, she does a lot of work behind the scenes to keep us on track, help us build some of the scheduling and doing some of the research for the program. Um, I I want to I want to start right with some with some news. We we typically begin with some uh secular news from the United States since that's where we live, that's what affects us the most. And um uh, as as secularists that's typically what we are uh trying to defend. But there are a couple of things in the news happening in Pakistan Scott that you and I have been sort of watching uh uh, throughout the last week and I know that there's been a lot of attention uh given to given to uh that country on on social media it's been it's been amazing how much Pakistan has been in my feed this past week how much Pakistan has been coming up uh during uh, our conversations uh with various people uh, around the internet
0: yeah the uh the information that you were sharing with me uh, yesterday just kind of blew my mind. So <clears throat> it's, it's right. It would start here, I think.
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, I, I think it's right that we, uh, that we, that we begin the show with, with, without, without too much fanfare um, and, and discuss a couple of events that have occurred there. Um, could you give us some information on what happened to um, Mr. Farouk in Pakistan? Okay, now, um,
0: let's see here. A 31-year-old man named H. Farouk was hacked to death on Thursday night by four men who were angry that he posted atheistic messages on, WhatsApp, on a WhatsApp group and Facebook page. <clears throat> at 11.15 p.m. on Thursday, Farouk received a phone call summoning him out of the house. His wife advised him not to go outside so late at night. However, he left home saying he would be back in 10 minutes. He had gone to a sewage treatment plant near uh, Ukadam on a motorcycle where a four-member gang waylaid him. The waylaid Farouk attempted to escape. However, he was assaulted with sickles by the gang and suffered deep cuts to his neck and abdomen. He succumbed to his injuries on the spot. One man, a Muslim, has already been arrested for the murder, though his lawyer is appealing with two others who have been connected with it
1: with sickles uh we can't we can't show this because uh this is this is a, a podcast we don't have a we don't have a video feed we've got uh i'm looking at, at images right in front of me of this young man um and it is it is incredibly graphic you can you can you can see the results of this crime um i'm uh, i'm sure you can you can find this on the internet um, <laughs> i mean this is this is just a, a bloodied, mutilated corpse left over um, because of this attack. This is somebody who was attacked for, for speaking. This is someone who posted some information on the internet. He was using WhatsApp. He was using Facebook. We all use these apps. We all yeah, he use was murdered
0: apps. for doing what I do every single day.
1: Every single day. This is exactly what uh, uh, the people involved with the show, the people that, that, that we know uh, inside of this discussion uh, about religion, about secularism, about atheism. This is what we do every day, and this is somebody who just for speaking out, um, just, for, just, for, just for posting – who knows what he po- – it doesn't matter what he posted, for, 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 for typing words. He was lured from his home and killed. And I did say that this was happening in Pakistan. This occurred in India. So uh, sorry about that. Uh, the the, the uh, second story is, is about Pakistan. India is, of course, right next door. Um, I, 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 I cannot express the outrage I feel when I see something like this. Um, this is brutality Reinforced and justified because of religion, because you don't like that somebody else doesn't agree with your doctrine. This was if, – if the person that they got um, is indeed the, the – uh, if the suspect is indeed the person that, that did this, this is a, a Muslim uh, – looks like a group of Muslims who were so offended that somebody doesn't believe in their doctrine that they decided the only response was not to have a competition of ideas, was not to try to explain why this person was wrong for being an atheist. Why bother trying to explain your point of view when it's so much easier to just lure him out to a sewage treatment plant and hack him to death with sickles? This absolutely... Breaks my heart. It's troubling to me, um, the, the, the next story in light of this one. Um, and for this, I'm going to talk a little bit about Twitter. Um, what, that, what that person did was, was on WhatsApp and on Facebook. But I noticed this hashtag... Popping up in my feed earlier this week, uh, and I and I had a couple of things to say about it, but it, it it's worth going over uh, in greater detail. Um, j- just over a week after Mr. Farooq was hacked to death, Ayaz Nizami and Rana Naman, two Pakistani atheists, were arrested. On charges of blasphemy because of things they posted on the Atheist and Agnostic Alliance Pakistan Facebook group and an online forum for the Council of Ex-Muslims of Britain. Another person is said to have been arrested as well. This came days after government officials asked Facebook and Twitter for help in identifying so-called blasphemers, though neither company has said it would comply with the request. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes, so don't, don't forget about what, what Facebook is, is, is doing here. Um, BBC Asia, through its Asian Network Twitter account, asked people to chime in on the question, what is the right punishment for blasphemy? As if any punishment for blasphemy would be acceptable. Uh, They got significant pushback, uh, and they later apologized. Uh, BBC Asian Network uh, tweeted, we never intend to imply blasphemy should be punished. uh, Provocative question that got it wrong. Um, The scariest reaction to all of this um, these, these individuals, again, this is um, Ayaz Nizami is the, uh, is the, is the person that, that seems to have gotten the most attention after being uh, arrested for, again, posting about atheism. Uh, the hashtag, hang Ayaz Nizami, was trending worldwide on Twitter over the weekend. Uh, uh, and there were numerous, I mean, huge amounts of calls. Um, for one of the accused blasphemers to be executed um, i've got i 've got just three tweets here. Somebody said he must be dragged in the streets then hanged hashtag hang ayaz Nizami. another one Islam is the most peaceful religion in the world, but when anyone says wrong about our beloved prophet, he will be hanged hashtag hang ayaz Nizami. Uh, another one says, a terrorist can kill many, but a blasphemous heart hurts the feelings of millions. Hashtag hang Ayaz Nizami. We really need to emphasize that this person's crimes, that which people are upset about and that which got them arrested, begins and ends with them posting on an atheist Facebook page. That is the great threat here. One writer at the, ex, uh, at the ex-Muslim calls for more moderate Muslims to openly, loudly condemn prosecution of those who criticize their faith, adding that ex-Muslims are not going to back down anytime soon. This is about words. And when people saw that somebody would insult their prophet, uh, would, would be critical of Islam their response was to call for this person to be killed, to start an international social media campaign to have him hanged. This is a little bit different than the first story, because the first story could, I suppose, be dismissed as the actions of a few criminals. This hashtag was viral. This was people all over the world chiming in to agree that somebody who dares blaspheme against their religion in the name of atheism deserves death. But also because this person was arrested. Their freedoms were suspended by their state because they decided to speak out, because they had something to say, because they wanted to add to the conversation. That was enough to have them separated from whatever freedoms they are allowed in Pakistan. They were imprisoned because they broke state-enforced blasphemy laws. And in that vein, um, we need to uh, talk about um, uh, Facebook. Scott, do you, have, do you have this up in front of you, the, uh, uh, the, the BBC link here um, that talks about what – what is going on with Facebook? Do you want to give us uh, Do you want to give us a rundown of uh, of what's being reported about Facebook's attitudes? Yeah, let's take a look here. Um,
0: from BBC News, Pakistan asks Facebook to help fight blasphemy. Um, Pakistan says it has asked Facebook to help investigate blasphemous content posted on the social network by Pakistanis. Facebook has agreed to send a team to Pakistan to address reservations about content on the social media site, according to the Interior Ministry. Blasphemy is a highly sensitive and incendiary issue in Pakistan. Critics say blasphemy laws, which allow the death penalty in some cases, are often misused to oppress minorities. Earlier this week, Pakistani Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif voiced his support for a wide-ranging crackdown on blasphemous content on social media. Um, in a statement on his party's official Twitter account, he described blasphemy as an unpardonable offense. Um, then on Thursday, Interior Ministry, Shahdri Nasir reasserted Pakistan's determination to tackle the issue, saying he would take any steps necessary to make sure Pakistan's message got across. He said... He asked officials to liaise with the FBI in the U.S. and with social media platforms on a daily basis. Facebook and other service providers should share all information about the people behind this blasphemous content with us, he is quoted as saying by the Dawn newspaper. There has been little official description of what blasphemous content has been found online so far, but in the past blasphemy, accusations have ranged from depictions of the Prophet Muhammad to critiques and inappropriate references to the Quran. But some critics say that this latest move is simply a way of cracking down on dissent. Um, Let me see here what, uh, if anything I can get about Facebook's response. In a statement quoted by the APA news agency, Facebook said it viewed government requests with care, keeping in mind the goal of protecting the privacy and rights of our users. We disclose information about accounts solely in accordance with our terms of service and applicable law. A mutual legal assistance treaty uh, or other formal request may be required for international requests, and we include these in our government request report. But Facebook has not yet made any public comment about a delegation being sent to Pakistan. Pakistan has often blocked access to pornographic sites and sites with anti-Islamic content in the 2000s. Pakistani court blocked Facebook over the characters of the prophet of the Prophet Muhammad.
1: You've you've got you've got an entire social media platform. I, last time I checked, uh, I think the largest in the world. Uh, who is completely willing to capitulate to this kind of idea that that people who who Wanna, whatever, whatever the government deems to be blasphemous, whatever uh, they, they can put in law as being uh, against their religion, Facebook has apparently little problem um, with, this, with this as a principle. They, they don't seem to be overly concerned with the request to do this. In fact, they seem willing to oblige. Um, the Interior Ministry informed the Islamabad High Court on Monday that Facebook administration has been blocking illegal blasphemous content on, Pakistan, at, on Pakistan's request, and 85% of such material on the social networking site has already been removed.
0: 85%. 85%. Uh, I, I,
1: I wonder what's stopping them from getting the other 15 <sighs> Interior Secretary Arif Khan said in his report that Facebook had responded to their letter and showed its willingness to remove content deemed blasphemous. He said the federal government has taken ambassadors of 27 Muslim countries on board in connection with the issue. Furthermore, three arrests have been made during the course of the online blasphemy probe, out of which two people were directly involved in posting blasphemous content, he stated. Law enforcers have also found blasphemous content from the suspect's laptops and mobile devices. A joint interrogation team has been constituted to probe into the matter, he added. When asked why the ambassador of the country from where the offense originated uh, was not summoned, the Interior Secretary responded, our embassy in Washington has also taken up the matter with the U.S. government. He said banning Facebook is not the solution. Pakistan Telecommunication Authority Chairman Ismail Shah said a team comprising 25 members has been working to search blasphemous content online. He said that the authority has so far taken action against 40 such pages. This should be very, very concerning. I I, I assume that those listening are, are, are with us here, but this is seriously concerning. Now, Facebook is a private company they're allowed to do whatever the hell they want. I'm not saying that what they're doing is is illegal. But I remember when the uh, so-called Arab Spring was happening uh, a few years ago, five, six years ago. And people who were downtrodden, people that were suffering under um, uh, dictatorial regimes were using social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook to organize. There were crackdowns on where you could meet, what you could talk about, and so forth. This is classic totalitarianism. And so they employed Twitter and Facebook as a way to organize, to figure out where they could go do marches, to raise their numbers, to discuss what they wanted for their country. Now, in the same region of the world, Facebook is willing to tamp down freedom of speech, is willing to, at the request of this government, say, indeed, there are some ideas that are too dangerous for public discourse. Your laws against people criticizing a religious regime should be stopped, and we will happily help you do this. Is Facebook allowed to do this? Sure. But we should be very concerned that they are so willing to bend at this request, that they are so willing to interfere in the discourse of a citizenry because a government is concerned about it. All right. Um, blasphemy is not a new concern for citizens in countries with religious laws, but given the spike in activity in Pakistan and in uh, uh, that 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 one incident in uh, India, we wanted to break down the idea in some more detail on the show tonight. Um, we we were talking about this as we as we watched it happening. I was I was very stirred by by this series of stories. Uh, I know that Scott was as well. This is this is this g- g- flies right in the face of of everything that that we uh, hold dear. Um, and we thought, you know, this is this is actually a great opportunity. What we should do is we should dedicate uh, an entire episode to blasphemy, and that is uh, our intention tonight. We've prepared quite a bit of interesting material, as we always do, uh, and we think that everybody will leave the show uh, with a, with a little more understanding. Um, definitely with something to, to have a conversation about uh, and hopefully a bit inspired to fight against this idea. But before we move on to the topic at large, we've got some pretty exciting stuff to mention. Um, Scott, you put up a, uh, a, a poll that we want to direct people to, correct?
0: Yeah, I kind of am thinking about changing around the format of how the, the truth pursuit uh, goes just to get a little more involved uh, with the interaction. And so um, I'm gonna start putting um, the topic of the truth pursuit into poll form on Twitter so that we can uh, participate and, and get the uh, the results of those polls and then and then discuss the results of the polls in the Periscope that I do uh, following the closing of those polls. So yeah, right now on my uh, Twitter at El Dutorino, you can go and uh, take part in the poll. Um, just asking a basic uh question about age of the earth and um <clears throat> see if we can run um you know uh forward with this with this model of uh of the truth pursuit
1: yeah that's uh that's a great idea it's it's i i think that um I have the most fun when we just get the chance to uh talk to people um there's 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 so much cool stuff in the world, like there really is. I I I never stop being amazed and impressed with how much there is to learn and consider and 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 kind of play with. Um, there are there is so much uh, art and literature and 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 concepts uh out there that that you can you can you could spend your whole life just learning and exploring. Um, unfortunately, that's not that's not a reality. You know, we have to we have to. Work and, and eat and, and what have you, but you can get lost in it. There's so much neat stuff out there, and when, and when we we have the opportunity to converse uh, to to discuss uh, an idea, especially a new one. Um, with with people, um, that's a that's a great great opportunity, and I'm very very excited to uh, continue engaging with our audience, and uh, which is which is growing by the way. We've been checking our numbers; our audience has been ticking upward consistently. We're very very pleased with that, um, and so we we keep getting to meet more and more uh, new interesting people, and uh, we're we're making a lot of friends. That's been very very exciting um, for us. Um, we also have something else that we that we want to uh, do tonight. This has, been, this has been in the works for a long time. We've been, we've been working little by little on this, uh, and our team has been, has been working on this uh, for, for quite a while, and we're very, very excited to get to debut this. So uh, while the opening 20 minutes was a little on the serious side, we definitely want to be able to have a little bit of fun, and with that, I want to introduce our newest segment
0: It's time for
1: it's not logical That is illogical Why are people so illogical It's perfectly logical That's like the worst logic ever Logic that fallacy <laughs> All right, so that was put together uh for us by uh, a couple of people on our team. Um this is a segment that is uh sponsored by Recovering from Religion. If you're not familiar with this with this organization, please go and make yourself familiar with what they do. Um the segment is sponsored by the gracious people that make up Recovering from Religion, whose passion is connecting people transitioning from religion to doubt with support, resources, community, and most of all, hope. Recovering from Religion is at recoveringfromreligion.org. They also have... Uh, a, uh, a hotline. Um, their website says connect with people who understand your struggle with doubt, faith and managing relationships in religious communities. Our agents are happy to talk with you. They will listen to your concerns and help you with questions. If you need to talk, the hotline is open. Call one eight four. i doubt it That's one 368 2848 you can follow them on Twitter as well, and I, I encourage everybody to do so. Um, I believe they've got about 100 chapters uh, around uh, around the country. Um, a, a, a great idea, something that is uh, very, very valuable and something that we very much want to uh, encourage everybody to be familiar with. If you know somebody who is struggling with doubt, who is trying to figure out uh, uh what to do with a crisis of faith if you if you know someone who is ready to come out as a skeptic as a doubter, as an agnostic as an atheist to their family friends uh, congregation uh, uh, their spouse, direct them towards this towards this number um, this is a this is a a fantastic organization uh we want to do whatever we can to support them, and we are very grateful that they have uh agreed so generously to sponsor. Um, this segment scott give us give us give us the rundown what exactly is logic that fallacy well <clears throat> oftentimes
0: in in this discussion that we have this this atheist theist debate, um, we come up against things which are called logical fallacies, and um, they were they were something that i wasn't even aware of their existence until until recently, just a couple of years ago and Um, some of them are, you know, uh, easy to spot and a a little easy to deal with. Some of them, uh, people are familiar with like, um, the straw man fallacy, where the person you're talking to, uh, builds up a, a misrepresentation of your position and then attacks that, or, um, you know, there's the argumentum ad populum where, uh, they, they say, well, a lot of people believe it, so I'm justified in believing it or it must be true because of that. and um, But there are several other fallacies that are very difficult to, to spot in conversation um, and uh, even more difficult to deal with once you've spotted them. Um, uh, we've noticed that when you're having a discussion with a theist uh, as an atheist and – Um, or or it could be vice versa, the theist with an atheist and the atheist presenting the logical fallacy. A a logical fallacy could come up that you you don't recognize, or if you do recognize it, we can point it out, oh, that's a logical fallacy. You kind of sound like you're arrogant by pointing out things that they're saying that are wrong. So we decided that we're going to take this difficult, nuanced uh, part of the conversation and turn it into a game. We're going to have... a series of vignettes, little, little um, play-like episodes, little scenes acted out um, that aren't necessarily about religion, just uh, about other topics. And inside of that scene, someone will make an argument that is, in fact, a logical fallacy. And then we would like for you, uh, the audience, to call in and see if you can spot that logical fallacy and call in and tell us, who made it and and where in the story that it occurs, um, and the idea here is just to be better at spotting a logical fallacy and and then uh, maybe learning how to deal with it without necessarily pointing out to the person you're talking to, hey, you just committed a logical fallacy, but more for your for yourself to to be able to recognize that one just happened, and then you can go about explaining to the person you're talking to why that doesn't. Uh, make sense logically or or why they think it does but doesn't. And so we're just hoping that these little vignettes that we put up can help our audience um, in seeing that, um, you know, that not only is it necessary to be looking for logical fallacies, but they're very hard to spot. This is difficult. It's meant to be fun. And a little bit of an educational exercise, but don't be hard on yourself if you can't spot with a logical fallacy is. It's it's very hard to do so. And that's something that we wanted to also get across is that it's not an easy thing to, to identify.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of the, uh, the the challenge of it. Some people are really, really well versed in logical fallacies, uh, and other people uh, can sort of see them and kind of feel like, like there's one going on, but they, they don't they don't have the, the terminology to know exactly what logical fallacy is occurring, and others uh, like Scott said have no idea that this is that this is even that this is even a, a thing to, to watch for. So this is very very exciting. Um, if you as you listen, if you if you catch the logical fallacy, give us a call um, at 646-564-9551. Uh, we'll be taking calls throughout the show. Um, uh, we'll, we'll be continuing on talking about the topic of the week, but uh, if we get a phone call, we will, um, we will, we will pause and see if, uh, if somebody can, can name the logical fallacy that has been committed. Um, and without further ado, allow me to play our first segment. Tanaka was late to refreshment. The dining pod was almost empty, too quiet for a private conversation but he was relieved to see Sien still there. She smiled as he approached. Attaching his tray to the table near Sien, Tanaka tightened his gravity vest, then bent down as if to straighten his boots. Sien smiled again when she saw that he was actually making an excuse to whisper in her ear. I told you we're not going home, he hissed. I told you. Suddenly Sien realized Tanaka was not being a flirt. Her eyes showed interest and concern. Tanaka continued whispering. I heard the captain and Dr. Kaiosaka talking outside my bunk. They thought I would be here, so they didn't know I was listening. What did they say? Sien asked. Tanaka pushed his meal packs around on his tray, trying to look normal. It didn't help. They were talking about saving the thrusters to use the metal to help us live on Koji Kondo's surface. Sien kept her gaze down to hide her shocked expression. They need to save them. They're our only way back off, our only way back home, right? But Dr. Kayasaka said, it won't be easy. They were designed to burn up in the atmosphere. They were designed to. Sian shook her head. You must have heard them wrong. Sien, they were right outside my bunk, like one meter from me. I heard them clearly. She shook her head more briskly. I can't believe that. I'm telling you, they never planned for us to go home. She wouldn't look at him. You are wrong. Sien, Tanakiyagi Damare, stop talking. I will not believe what you are saying. I just won't. Their eyes locked. If it is true, then everything we have been taught is a lie. If it is true, then we can't trust anything. Sien stood and bent close. Her cheek touched the top of his head. So you are wrong. A glistening tear flicked off her blinking eyelash as she strode out. That was that was so much fun <laughs> to get to oh, to get to record. I can't help listening and just being like, oh man, that was fun. No. I, I love.
0: Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, you know, as Corey was saying earlier, an outside contributor um, wrote these vignettes for us, and just just amazing writing. Just the, the story itself leaves me. I just want more of the story. And I forgot to look for the logical fallacy when I was reading it the first few
1: times. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it kind of it kind of makes me want to do like you get to the end and you're just like yeah, but what happens next? I, I kind of want to do like uh, it, it, it would it would it would totally be you know inappropriate for the show, but it would be amazing to do like a whole radio drama. Like it just it just gets me excited. <laughs> uh, it would yeah. be so much fun. Um, okay, so again, we want to uh, uh, we want to encourage uh, anybody who who caught the logical fallacy there to give us a call, let us know who committed it and what the name of the logical fallacy was. Um, Hopefully somebody will, will get it right though. We have to admit that uh, it was, it was, it was very challenging um, when we were first kind of kind of playing with this concept uh, for us to get it. So if somebody, if somebody gets it like that, uh, you're smarter than we are. (laughs) Um, (laughs) if, If nobody gets it by the end of tonight's show, um, then we will'll uh, we'll, we'll post it on uh, on Twitter. People can take a stab at it on there. Um, the winner gets absolutely nothing except for bragging rights and a mention on the air so next week if uh, if nobody gets it this time um, we will uh, we will we will say who who the the victor was who the first person was to get it right um, on next week's um, show so that was uh, that was the first logic, that fallacy, I'm, uh, I'm so, so excited to be able to, to finally unveil that for everybody, and um, we'll, uh, we'll see what comes of that. Okay, well, I think it is ready for us to uh, enter the main discussion. Um, talk about this, this, this silly little concept of blasphemy. Um, we we'll start with a basic definition. This is impious utterance or action concerning God or sacred things. Um, in Judaism, their definition is an act of cursing or reviling God. So it's a little more it's a little more specific, a little more narrow. Um, in in Judaism, even the pronunciation of Yahweh in the original uh, now forbidden manner uh, is is blasphemy. Instead of uh, instead of using a substitute pronunciation uh according to theology it's just the crime of assuming to oneself the rights or qualities of god that's a a little more a little more modern um idea of blasphemy where it's not as as literal it's not as as publicly visible it's simply you can you can just commit blasphemy in your mind uh the crime of assuming to oneself the rights or qualities of god uh or it can be irreverent behavior towards anything held sacred, priceless um so we could colloquially use blasphemy to refer to uh you know talking talking too lightly about life uh or or you know suggesting that that things that we all sort of axiomatically hold as valuable are not valuable we could call these things uh uh blasphemy but uh, what we're what we're focusing on is blasphemy as it actually uh affects people um there's a there's a difference between what we, could, what we could call blasphemy and when claims of blasphemy actually impact a person who has supposedly committed it. Um, blasphemy has been condemned as a serious or even the most serious sin uh, by the major creeds and church theologians. Apostasy and infidelity, which is unbelief, were generally considered to be the gravest sins with heresy a greater sin than blasphemy. This is this is remarkable to me. The idea that the greatest sin isn't killing or or what have you, but 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 uh, the the big three: apostasy, so leaving your religion, infidelity, just not believing in the first place, uh, and uh, heresy or or, or blasphemy, uh, actually saying negative things about god or a relic or a character or a scripture or what have you um this is this is the great this is the great threat apostasy infidelity and heresy um um, thomas aquinas says in summa theology uh if we compare murder and blasphemy as as regards the object of those sins it is clear that blasphemy which is a sin committed directly against god is more grave than murder Which is a sin against one's neighbor. On the other hand, if we compare them in respect of the harm wrought by them, murder is the graver sin, for murder does more harm to one's neighbor than blasphemy does to God. That's um, yeah, a greater.
0: that's, uh, (laughs) That's a little like okay. So the blasphemy is a greater sin. Because it's committed directly against God, so the murder sin is against a, a fellow human, and the blasphemy sin is against God Himself. So, if you're talking about who the sin is committed against, then the the blasphemy sin is greater because that's directly against God. But then, actually measuring out the damage done by the sins, the murder is greater because someone dies from it, and the blasphemy doesn't actually hurt God at all. So,
1: right, it, right, and it, if it. <laughs> If it doesn't hurt God at all, um, one wonders why it's even a concern. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I was trying to find out. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, I was like, wait
0: a this... second. It actually does nothing to him. So, I mean, if it did, it would be bad, but it doesn't, so it's fine. But really, it's bad.
1: <laughs> so many concepts in religion um, end up kind of being a bit circular, um, I've been I've been learning about about blasphemy uh, as much as I possibly can, and I've yet to figure out precisely why this is even why this is even a problem. Um, I, I, I've yet to figure out why why blasphemy is even a concern. And yet,
0: yeah, it seems that they're they're going to bat for the God. Oh, that's against my God. I'm going to defend him. God Himself doesn't seem to be concerned with it. More the followers of the God are the ones, you know, carrying out the punishments and and saying what the punishments should be,
1: which doesn't surprise us at all. As as atheists, um, we we don't think that there is such a thing as God. <laughs> Um so we don't think that his right. feelings can
0: be heard. I forgot so, that part. I forgot that part. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: it, it's it's yeah, it, when we start to talk about this we we can you have to like okay, so for the sake of this discussion we're going to step into the realm of religion. That that doesn't mean that we're obviously
0: <laughs> you could shut it down now. Oh, thanks for joining everybody. There is no god. So, yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Play the outro. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, it would be it, – it's, it's, it's very, very simple because – but this is what we would expect, right, as atheists who don't believe in God. Um, we would expect for these rules to be invented and uh, uh, enforced by people and not by God. God doesn't show right. up and yell at people for being blasphemous. It's always people that have decided that blasphemy is a thing, determining that other people have committed this crime. There, there's never – God never seems to like get so pissed that He shows up and goes, "All right, enough already! I've had enough of your blasphemy." Um, you know, blasphemy one presumes is at an all time high given the population of the planet uh, and the the secular right. na- uh, nature of of the 21st century. And yet, um, you know, God doesn't intervene. And yet, men think that they should. Uh, okay, the Book oh, well, of Concord.
0: I'm sorry, uh, but just in your definition um, earlier where you said um, in theology, another um, definition of blasphemy is um, the crime of assuming to self the rights or qualities of God. So wouldn't the people who are carrying out these in Islam, for instance, what we just read earlier, these murders or whatever punishment for the crime, quote unquote, of of blasphemy that they see acting, aren't they assuming to themselves the qualities of God that that he has a quality that wouldn't want to be blasphemed against and then would want that quality defended by his followers? Aren't they being blasphemous by carrying out these punishments?
1: It seems that way, right? Like, that seems so obvious. you've, you've, You've decided that as a primate living on Earth with no additional senses to what, to what I possess that you can somehow know more about the supernatural than I can. You have figured yes, out what it is that God wants and, and likes and doesn't like, and then you've decided that instead of letting God, the great judge, the ender of all things, rather than, than let him uh, punish people for, for sinning against him, you're going to do it yourself, which seems to me to perfectly fit. Definition 3 of blasphemy
0: Exactly, just uh, presumptuous
1: The Book of Concord calls blasphemy The greatest sin that can be outwardly committed The Baptist Confession of Faith says Therefore to swear vainly or rashly By the glorious and awesome name of God Is sinful and to be regarded with disgust And, uh, and to be det- detested uh, For by rash, false and vain oaths The Lord is provoked and because of them, this land mourns. The Lord is provoked. How do they know that? Why do these people think that they can know the mind of God? I hear again and again that he is, his ways are bigger, that we can't know what God wants, that his plan is mysterious. And so even that is, is arrogant. Even thinking that you can determine that his plan is mysterious suggests that you can interpret something that is supernatural. You somehow believe, to make that claim, that you have extrasensory abilities that the rest of us lack. Yeah,
0: it, it that, well, what you just mentioned, where um, when, when we're like, well, why would God this or that? And the, and the theist often comes back with, well, God's ways are mysterious, or he's, he's outside of space and time, you can't possibly begin to understand it's so different that you're coloring that with human uh, stuff that you know about, how could you, you know, dare speak for God. And then in that same breath, we'll then speak for God and tell us how God is. And, and that they even, like you just said, that, that they're getting stuff, that they even know that he is that way. And yet they know more about him than we do. And we're just, I don't know what choosing not to um, uh, know those things that they claim to know. It's very strange. Um, the Heidelberg Catechism answers question 100 about blasphemy by stating that no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than the blaspheming of his name.
1: That strikes me as having your priorities wrong. Again, I can't know the mind of God. But if nothing provokes... Uh, imagine, imagine if, you, if you will, that, um, that the, the thing that annoyed you more than anything else was when somebody blasphemed your name. When somebody, like made fun of you or, 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 or swore using your title that that would offend you more than, than injustice, than criminal behavior, than, uh, uh, somebody being subjugated, than rape, than torture, than murder, than cruelty. This, this, um, is, this is the worst thing.
0: And in a catechism book, and we're, we're, we're speaking of Catholicism here or Christianity in some sense, um, Uh, nothing provokes a greater uh, God's wrath than blaspheming his name. But uh, as we were talking a a few episodes ago um, from Dan Barker's book, God's God's name is uh, something of a, you know, something of a mystery other than um, jealous. The the only thing he actually calls himself by his name is jealous. So Dan Barker to the rest of that book refers to the Lord jealous. Um, as his name, because as you said, the, the Yahweh, um, you're, you're not supposed to pronounce that's, that's blasphemous. And, um, Jehovah or Elohim or all these other things, um, are are just different in, you know, interpretations Who, who knows which of these names is actually his name. Um, other than jealous, I've never heard anybody taking jealous in vain. So,
1: yeah, that's a good point. I, I've never God that's, isn't that's his true. God is he
0: just is a God. That's just
1: uh, right. God is um, now. I, I suppose that a, a, a monotheist would argue that the label "God" can refer to nobody else, so it might as well be his name. But it one is, God. Yeah. right, but it is his title, and he says uh, again and again in the Bible, he references other gods. He has no problem saying that he will punish the gods of Egypt. Um, he competes right, with right. Baal. Uh, right. God himself
0: refers to that the other gods exist.
1: Right, right, which itself is a little bizarre um, for for a monotheist to rely on a book that has God, presumably the highest authority, talking about other gods. Um, the Westminster Larger Catechism explains that the sins forbidden in the third commandment are the abuse of it in an ignorant, vain, irreverent, profane, mentioning by blasphemy, to profane jests, vain janglings, to charms or sinful lusts and practices. Uh, the, the definition seems to kind of morph and shift and, and, and it, it consists of, of varying degrees of vagueness, um, where it sort of, it sort of ends up being this thing that can kind of cover whatever you need it to.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, the, the initial, the first definition was uh, an utterance or an action concerning God or his sacred things So it could be something you say, it could be something that you do um, Calvin found it intolerable when a person is accused of blasphemy To lay the blame on the uh, ebullition of passion As if God were to endure the penalty whenever we are provoked
1: I love that Um he's, he's, Calvin's annoyed because I guess people were being blasphemous and then they were apologizing and going, well, okay. All right. I, I shouldn't have said, I shouldn't have said Jesus fucking Christ. I shouldn't have said, God damn it. That was my bad. But here's the thing. I got really, really angry. And in my passion, I said it and that was, that was wrong. And, you know, I, I wasn't thinking clearly, you know, uh, this is, this is intolerable to Calvin. No, God's still hurt by it. Doesn't matter if you've got a good, if somebody like gets mad at me and yells at me, like I might get pissed back. Um, and then if they come and, 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 and say, okay, bro, sorry. Um, like I was really, really mad about something and I kind of took that out on you and that's, that wasn't cool or fair. So I apologize. Um, yeah. Okay. No harm, no foul. Not for God. God still had to endure that penalty because blasphemy uh, occurred. Regardless of why or how it was provoked, God has still suffered.
0: Again, according to the the guy who is assuming to know that God is still hurt by it. Right, right.
1: All right, so let's – um let's talk a little bit about what the Bible says about uh, blasphemy. We've got um, uh, a selection of, of references to blasphemy in the, uh, in the Bible. Um, let's see here. Leviticus twenty four thirteen sixteen, 16. And this was put up by a uh, cat on Twitter earlier. Um she made a, a really cool graphic of it, uh, so you should, you should have a look at that and, and throw it a retweet if you don't mind. Um, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, he that blasphemeth the, la- the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall, shall certainly stone him. So we're moving away from the definition. We're actually talking about, okay, so now we know what blasphemy is. What should happen to somebody who blasphemes? And answer one, according to the book of Leviticus, is, well... Not only should he be stoned, um, he should be stoned by, like, his former friends. We, we, all, we all were part of a congregation. We all believed in God. We all came. And we all worshiped God. And then somebody committed blasphemy. So everybody's got to turn on your former friend and go and, and stone that guy because speaking words deserves death. Um We've got Second Samuel 12, 14 through 18. Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died.
0: Killing the child of the blasphemers.
1: Yeah. This is, this is back when God was getting directly involved, when we didn't need to enforce blasphemy laws. We didn't have to punish blasphemy sins, you know, person to person. God would do it. And this is Each also, court. as we
0: were discussing last week, um, you didn't need faith to believe in God back then because God was very much active day to day in everybody's life. So they didn't need faith. Swites never mentioned.
1: We've been talking about this all week, ever since we did uh, uh, episode 18. Um, uh, that's not in the Bible, but this is. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it was remarkable um, that the Old Testament is, by and large, a chronicle of God showing up and doing, doing things. Um, faith is absolutely not required. God doesn't want ask for, need faith. It's not needed. Um, instead, God shows up And tells various characters in the Bible To go do things And a, a lot of times, even in the face of overwhelming evidence These people were necessarily not atheists Even in the face of overwhelming evidence Oh, there's a deity, there's a guy right there He's God, it's obvious It's, it's, it's apparent, it's, it's demonstrable There's God And they still, uh, again and again kind of, kind of, like, don't obey him uh, Read the book of Jonah uh, It's <laughs> It's it's a it's a it's a wacky and crazy tale. Um, this is God shows up and tells Jonah, okay, I want you to uh, uh, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them. Uh, I want you to, to to prophecy and tell Nineveh that in forty days I will destroy Nineveh because they are so sinful. And Jonah goes, um, well, I know that you're God, but I don't want to do that. So, as if he's not facing an omniscient, omnipotent being. He gets in a boat and tries to sail the opposite direction. And God's answer to this is to send a storm at the boat. Forget the 30, 40, 100 sailors that are on that boat with Jonah, whatever. They're not that important. I'll send a storm to get Jonah, and then he'll get thrown overboard, and I'll send a fish to save him, and then he'll repent in the belly, and I'll have him regurgitated, and then Jonah will do my will. Jonah didn't need faith. And this person didn't need faith. They just write right down in the Bible, God struck a child sick because his parents were blasphemers. So that seems like justice. Instead of killing the person that that actually blasphemed, I'm going to make Mm -hmm. your child sick. The child's going to be sick for a week, and then the child's going to die. Instead of killing
0: Jonah who disobeyed, kill all the other sailors who had nothing to do with it, and save the one who disobeyed. It's completely reckless.
1: It's completely reckless. Okay. Um, uh, Oh, the Holy Ghost. All manner (laughs) of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. That's Matthew twelve thirty one and thirty two. So I guess we can we can presume that um, in the previous verse they were blaspheming not just against the Lord, but specifically against the Holy Ghost.
0: Now this is this one's going to is a little confusing to me because I don't think I've ever heard the Holy Ghost blasphemed against. I mean, I know, uh, like just growing up my whole life, God damn it is Mm -hmm. blasphemous. Right. And, uh, Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, that's blasphemous. So there's against the father and the son, but where is the, how, how does one blaspheme the, the blaspheme the Holy Ghost?
1: Yeah, I, you, you're you're right. The it's and it, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, an English thing today. Maybe in other times this was more common. Um, yeah, blasphemy against the, the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I've never heard um, in in common conversation. I've never heard as a colloquialism. I've never heard anybody like take the time and effort to bother. Um, yeah, I don't know what but that then, would sound like. or Why?
0: Right, but if they're all then if it's if that's a Trinity that is actually one wouldn't a blaspheme against one of the other two be a blaspheme against the Holy Ghost?
1: That was my question. If the Trinity is three, three bodies inside of one Godhead, if you've got God, Jesus and the Holy Ghost who are completely independent, yet they are not in any way independent. If they are all part of one yet simultaneously independent with different abilities and, and different perspectives, um, but they make up the single God because it's monotheism. Uh, then, yeah, saying saying God damn it should necessarily also be blaspheming against the Holy Ghost. We're probably looking for uh, for a reason where there where there is none. Right. Darn that.
0: Trying to nail um, things down to
1: specifics. Cat gave us an article on this. Um, it says this is from. Um, LeeJoneer.org, L-I-G-O-N-I-E-R.org. It's called Blasphemy Against the Holy Ghost, Um, and it it has um, uh, a verse from Mark to begin with. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Ghost never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And this, this goes back to our, our episode on sin. We talked about uh, the two kinds of sin in Catholicism. Isn't, isn't blaspheming the Holy Spirit kind of in Catholicism like the end-all, be-all of the, like the worst things you can do? So I'm confused on the worst things you can do because aren't there
0: several sins that are the – um, the worst sin that you can commit. So, uh, one was uh, apostasy, leaving the religion. That was a big mm-hmm. one. You know, don't leave the religion. Um, uh, there was an unforgivable sin, and I always thought that that was suicide. But th- there was another one that we brought up in sin, and I, I can't remember what it was. The, the well, unforgivable sin.
1: These are. Uh these are, are what are referred to as mortal sins, meaning that they um they, they having committed one you immediately um are going to hell. Um but if you if you if you now now I'm forgetting, we need a we need a, a Catholic scholar to help us on this. Then if you <laughs> yeah. if you go to confession on the right day and confess it properly, and the priest uh, absolves you and gives you, you know, some Hail Marys to chant or whatever they do, um, then you can be forgiven of that mortal sin. Suicide is unforgivable because it necessarily can, means that, uh, right, after suicide, you can't, <laughs> you can't confess because <laughs> you're dead. Um, so I, but the Holy Spirit seemed like even even if, you, even if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and then you go and – um and confess that it seems like it's not that's like well too bad there's no getting out of that one um right like okay. the,
0: uh, the Torturer that I was talking about in hell who um he he talks to them about what they did wrong and, and that they should be praising God at the same time telling them that even if you praise God now it doesn't matter you mm-hmm. you're not getting you need to do it but it, it won't do anything for you now <laughs> So weird.
1: <laughs> you still required. No motivation but.
0: for it, but please do it. I'm <laughs> going to torture you while you're doing. I'm not going to change that at all, <laughs> but you should probably go ahead and do it.
1: I guess that's what they mean by every knee shall bow. That's, that's <laughs> you're gonna bow.
0: I mean, it's going it, it's it's to happen. It.
1: It's going to happen. Because because you have free will, it's going to happen. Totally. Okay, the divine character of Jesus' ministry is unmistakable. When he cast out demons, they never return. Clearly, our Lord came uh, in the authority and power of God himself, for he decisively bound the strong man Satan. To understand today's passage, we must keep in mind the self-evidently divine characteristic of Jesus' ministry, so on and so forth. First, Mark's comment, for they were saying, in verse 30, as he narrates Jesus' response to the scribes, shows that the blasphemy Jesus has in mind is a verbal sin. The scribes were sinning with words, with statements against our Savior. Moreover, the same comment from Mark means unforgivable blasphemy is a persistent sin. "We're saying" is in the progressive voice, which conveys ongoing action. The scribes spoke against Jesus not merely one time; rather, they were so hardened against him that they continued to associate him with Satan. So this is this is not just uh, uh, you know you could be an apostate nobody would know you can you can become an apostate in your in your mind. But this is talking about not blessing. You know, if you think, if you think word Jesus fucking Christ in your head, you know, okay. Even though God knows your thoughts, there's there's somehow it's it's more real uh, to God if you if you speak it, Um, if you if you say it out loud in your mind. That's that's not what they're talking about. They're referring to maybe that's
0: that's Calvin's distinction. You 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 may be um, able to think that, you know, and then oh, sorry, God. You're right. I shouldn't. But the moment you let it go past thought and then let it come out of your lips to the world, you had time. You could have backed off from that thought and asked for forgiveness before you put it out there. But you put it out there and it's too late now. Mm. I'm just trying to justify the crazy. Yeah,
1: it takes it takes work to work around. it. It really does. Um in in 1 Timothy, I found this interesting, and it, and it kind of goes to what you were just talking about. Comenius um, and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So… Here is here here are some some people that blasphemed and so God didn't just get mad they didn't just have to repent He didn't send them down He actually sent them He delivered them unto Satan specifically so that Satan could teach them like like you know I'm imagining a classroom Satan is is informing them uh, uh, he's teaching them not to blaspheme I delivered I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme so Satan is is once again just doing what God wants him to do.
0: Right. Yeah, just like that story. Exactly. Just doing God's work.
1: Um, if a slave doesn't give her master all honor, all honor, she blasphemes God. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. That's 1 Timothy 6.1.
0: So disobeying your 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 owner hmm. or, or not doing what he wants or, or any kind of dissent against your owner as a slave is actually a crime against God
1: God gives license to the slaveholders to not obey them is uh, is is higher up the ladder to disobey god god is God is giving the right to own people. Two individuals, and so since that right comes from God to not obey the person that owns that that owns you, you are also vicariously disobeying god makes sense sounds real, yep, yep, that sounds super real that that in no way sounds like people that wanted to earn slaves and thought this would be a great way to control them. it doesn't sound like that in any way no
0: that's not that didn't cross my mind for no not, not one single little bit of that crossed my mind
1: it also it also, we, we would never find uh, something that suspiciously felt like uh, men who really, really, really wanted to make their wives obey them. Um, as we find in Titus uh, 2, verses 4 and 5, teach the young women to be obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God not be blasphemed. Same thing. God gives husbands the right to expect obedience from their wives. So, if you are not obedient to your husband, you are not being obedient to God vicariously. okay we're we're almost through here. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan, Revelation two nine. Uh, so I, I don't know if this means all Jews or just fake Jews, but people that are, that are at least fake Jews are actually the synagogue of Satan. Um, I stood, saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy.
0: The name of blasphemy.
1: Yeah, Revelation 13.1. So when the beast rises in the end times, um, we know that the beast will have seven heads, uh, that the beast will have ten horns, and upon those horns ten crowns, and upon his, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So either either all of this is to be interpreted, and it's actually prophetic, and he's not talking in any way about an actual beast rising out of the sea. He's intentionally being misleading with his speech in order to actually talk about it. I've heard various descriptions of this. It's 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 actually a great nation. Uh, that will have seven heads and ten horns, and, and this this has been pointed to as revelation coming true, like over and over and over again through history. The United States of alone, people in the United States alone, have mentioned this again and again. I remember this being pointed to me as we're obviously in the end times because look at what's happening with the war on terror. See, see, beast rising out of the sea. That's the Middle East with Saddam Hussein. Like the, this is
0: the description of Babylon is New York City.
1: Exactly. Um, it, like, there it's, hasn't but,
0: always been a place that's the main trade center for everywhere.
1: <laughs> right. But of course, he doesn't say this is all an allegory. He doesn't say it will be a nation. He says there will be a beast. So I'm imagining a beast, this crazy looking thing with seven heads and ten horns and all of this. Um, and, like, the name of blasphemy. So, like,. God fucking damn it! Like inscribed in your right, head.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Actually God written. Damn it. Now is that your first name or <laughs> which part of that is the surname?
1: Right, right. Is um, that like Madonna? <laughs> just one, just a single name. Um, we we also. Um, we also grabbed some information from newadvent.org. This is the Catholic perspective and definition of blasphemy, including punishments and some history. This is helpful because it kind of gives us some perspective about blasphemy as less of an abstract concept, as we've kind of been referring it to, to it uh, thus far. It's not just, okay, so let's try to figure out what this is and, and what the Bible has to say. This, is, this actually goes into uh, some, some, some very brief history about uh, how Catholics treated this. In the real world, uh, uh, throughout time, and there's there's a couple of there's a couple of names that are like weird Greek names. I, look, they're not that important. So just just give us the rundown here. Um, among the Athenians, blasphemy was actionable, um, and according to
0: Plutarch, uh, Alcibiades uh, was made to suffer the confiscation of his goods for ridiculing the rights of seers and crosspine Among the ancient Romans, blasphemy was punishable, though not by death. In the time of Justine, we find most severe enactments against the sin. In the constitution of AD 538, the people were called upon to abstain from blasphemy, which provokes uh, God to anger. The perfect of the city, or the prefect of the city is commanded to apprehend all such as shall persist in their offense after this admonition uh, and put them to death that so the city and the empire may not suffer because of their impiety among the visigoths anyone blaspheming the name of christ or expressing contempt of the trinity had his head shorn was subject to a hundred stripes and suffered perpetual imprisonment in chains among the franks according to a law enacted at the Diet of Ashin, A.D. 818, this sin was a capital offense. Um, so they so shave th- his head and then subjected to a hundred stripes. What is a hundred stripes?
1: Like like lashes.
0: Oh yeah, like uh, like whips. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so shave your head, so...
0: get whipped a hundred times, and then be imprisoned in chains forever. Perpetual imprisonment. Perpetual
1: imprisonment. This was for um, uh, someone among the Visigoths who blasphemed the name of Christ or expressed contempt of the Trinity. So, again, we've got an idea so good. We've We've got a doctrine so amazing. We've got news so fantastic. You are saved. You are saved from your sins. You get to go to heaven forever, guys. And this is such an awesome thing that it has to be defended with violence.
0: Um, it, it, it's remarkable to me all of the the contradictions of that very uh, statement. Uh, this is all pure love and and peace, um, unless you do this. And then of course we will cut your head off and uh, you know brutally uh, throw rocks at you until you're dead. Or Islam is the the most peaceful religion of all the religions, except of course when you do A, B, or C. Then. We are going to kill you in the streets, but, but after that, we're peaceful.
1: Hmm. Right. We got a, uh, a cool quote from Zafara. She, she found this on allaboutgod.com, and it says, quote, The thought of an unpardonable sin has brought grief to many people throughout history. Perhaps the guilt and fear is unnecessary. If you are afraid that you have committed the unpardon- unpardonable sin, that is sure proof that you have not. See that's 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 very reconciliatory. That's that's I, I kind of I kind of appreciate it given the the long history of religion, just ugh, ooga booga putting nothing but terror in front of everybody when when they they get to this point uh, in modern times of well while it worked we were happy to employ the tactic of terror. But nowadays, uh, we need to get people to come to the church. We can't enforce it on this wide scale. There's things like the internet, so we'll we'll, we'll okay. We're gonna we're gonna lower the bar a bit. You're, you're, if the fact you that you're worried healthy, about it means you're really a good dude. so, which is, which is nice. It is nice. Um, those who committed the unpardonable sin had no godly regrets, they had no interest in the forgiveness of God. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times yet Jesus forgave him. So they 're saying that um, uh, you know, it 's not, it's not this absolute direct thing of, of needing to go and get uh, 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 going to do confession, um, because what 's unforgivable is not feeling guilt. If you feel guilt, then God recognizes that, and it counts for something. You, you end up you, – you, you can be forgiven because you experience or express guilt. So then um,
0: Calvin was wrong.
1: Well, uh, I mean come on. You're, you're going to find nobody is the authority here. Every church and every denomination and every scholar has slightly differing views because every every religion, every religious person is basically subscribing to a religion of one. There's, there's always – anybody who is a theologian will disagree with every other theologian on some small point. They're going to interpret it in some small way. They're going to agree on the main things, but there's always going to be slight differences in exactly what happens. So that says to me that… If there are a bunch of people making an extraordinary claim about God and they're saying, no, you will burn in hell forever if you do this, and somebody else says, no, you will not burn in hell forever for having doing this, and they're both making an extraordinary claim about a supernatural being that cannot be tested, cannot be demonstrated, cannot be proven, then how are we ever to know which one is right?
0: Exactly. They can't all be uh, right. They just can't. And uh, this is something that I've been going over recently, and it's just hard to get that… That across,
1: they cannot all be right, but they can all be wrong.
0: It's it's amazing how um, one god tends to line up with the way that individual thinks.
1: It is remarkable. Yeah, we've uh, we've kind of we've kind of floated adjacent to this point on several recent episodes. Um, religion is is a highlighter, not a pen. If you are a bad person. You're going to find, by any definition, you're going to find justification for being bad in your religion. If you are a good person, you're going to give that credit for being a good person to God. It it, it highlights whatever happens to be inside of you. Whatever you want, God wants that for you. You have divine command to take what you want. This This litters the pages of history, even as recently as Manifest Destiny. Uh, Even as as recently as the election, how many times did you hear or read during the presidential election that God wants Trump in office?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's been a a cry of politicians for millennia. God wants me to run this show.
1: The
0: the same thing. And not, not only does God want me to run the show, but my belief in Jesus and my my interpretations, my personal interpretations of Jesus, the doctrine, the doctrine of the Bible, um, are part of my foreign policy. Bush would say.
1: Mm. In uh, in 2012, um, no fewer than four of the Republican candidates during the primary um, claimed that God told them to run. Only one now, of them. Were those
0: wait. were those auditory? Uh, requests from God? Did they actually hear those? Uh, this would maybe be my question. Be a doctor.
1: Right. If you actually think you're hearing the name the Word of God, then that's, that's a bit concerning. Um, but this is these If there's a self head, we could have a
0: conversation.
1: Right. A lot of people prove God they think by appealing to uh, either anecdotal evidence or personal experience. Well, these are four people, all of whom wanted to be President of the United States, and four of them had the exact same evidence. God told me to run for president. No, God told me to run for president. Neither, none of them are basing it on anything testable. It's completely subjective. So either God told one of them to run for president and the others invented it, were lying about it, and, uh, or, or somebody else told them. Maybe Satan told them to run for well, president. Uh, the
0: no. lying about it is the one that jumps out at me. I, I know that several of the people who have ran for president have true beliefs about um, – you know, if we're talking about America – Typically, the Christian God, but do were they saying God wanted me to run for office because they absolutely believe that God wanted them to run for office, or were they saying that because they believe the the uh, populace believes in God enough that they want to hear that and they want to vote for someone who they think God wants to run for office I Of course, I mean, of
1: course,
0: yeah, I don't believe them for a second. No, Maybe well, Huckabee. no,
1: neither do I. Maybe Huckabee. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> Huckabee I think it was God. After
0: that, I think they're making it
1: up. Right. I've, I've, I've not, I don't, I don't think there's, there's a God to do this in the first fucking place. I don't think that God's telling anybody to run for president. And if he is, he should come up with a better way of doing it because apparently it's indistinguishable from people's personal desires. Apparently, there's no way to tell the difference. If you wanted one of those four people to run and they actually ran. Then the other people were equally. The other three were, yeah. Either that or God is fucking with people. And it's just like, this will be hilarious. All you you're my favorite. (laughs) If the God
0: exists, it's very evident that he enjoys very much fucking with people. If he exists, it's the only explanation we have for
1: most of history. The ultimate troll. Yep. Okay, let's talk about uh, uh, medieval times. Medieval canon law punished the blasphemer most severely. By a decree of the 13th century, one convicted of blasphemy was compelled to stand at the door of the church during the solemnities of the mass for seven Sundays on the last of these days, divested of cloak and shoes. He was to appear with a robe with a rope around his neck. Obligations of fasting and alms giving were likewise imposed under heaviest penalties. The rigors of the ancient discipline were insisted upon by Pius V in his constitution. Um, according to the law herein laid down, the layman found guilty of blasphemy was fined. The fine was increased upon his second offence and upon his third, he was sent into exile. If unable to pay the fine, he was uh, he was upon the first conviction condemned to stand before the door of the church his hands tied behind him for the second offence he was flogged and for the third his tongue was pierced and he was sentenced to the galleys the blasphemous cleric if possessed of a benefice lost upon his first offence a year's income upon his second he was deprived of his benefice and exiled if enjoying no benefice he was uh, first subjugated to a fine and bodily punishment on repeating the offence he was imprisoned and still persisting he was degraded and condemned to the galleys. Lovely stuff. Uh, that, that last part there is for people that believe in God, by the way. That's for people that are employed in the church. Yeah, I was just looking up this, uh, the benefits.
0: If he's uh, enjoying benefits, that'll be taken from him. Or if he's not, something else will happen. The benefits is uh, understood to denote certain property uh, that is destined for the support of the ministers of the religion. So just things that are given to a, a minister for doing this job is what I'm reading. This.
1: He, he would lose
0: that and also be exiled from the church.
1: And hey, lose your, lose your 401k. Lose your stipend. Yeah.
0: There goes yep. your Viceroy and cigarettes for the moment.
1: <laughs> um, okay. Uh, blasphemy, uh, Cognizable by common law is defined by Blackstone to be denying the being or providence of God. Um, um, we end up we end up looking at uh, the United States here for just a moment. The United States once had many penal statutes against blasphemy, which were declared constitutional as not subversive of the freedom of speech or liberty of the press. Uh, in the American Decisions, Volume Five. Three three five. We read that Christianity being recognized by law, therefore blasphemy against God and profane ridicule of Christ or the Holy Scripture are punishable by common law. Accordingly, where one uttered the following words, Jesus Christ was a bastard and his mother was a whore. It was held to be a public offense, punishable by the common law. The defendant found guilty by the court of common pleas of the blasphemy above, quoted, was sentenced to imprisonment for three months and to pay a fine of $500. That's with the protection of the Constitution.
0: Now, um, I don't see here what year this uh, went away, but $500 fine. I mean, for, for right now, three months in prison is three months in prison. That would suck. That's a long time mm-hmm. yeah. um, to be taken from your freedom, taken from your family, taken from your job, taken from you know your 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 own um, your own freedoms. But a uh, five hundred dollars now is a, a lot of money to have to pay as a fine. Um, that must have been an enormous amount of money when this was when this law was actually on the books. I wonder what that actual like inflation rate comparison is to today.
1: What Not would that it today? matters.
0: Any is ridiculous uh, in the separation of church and state.
1: Um, right. 500 isn't, isn't a small amount today. Um, well, regardless of when this was, it, it would have been uh, crippling financially. Um, um, I wanted to read a quick paragraph from the Freedom from Religion Foundation. Um, it says, the crime, blasphemy, by its very nature is intended to establish a particular sect and suppress the free exercise of religion. Blasphemy statutes place the religious sensibilities of the chosen sect on a pedestal. In effect, the statute allows the adherence to lawful righteous indignation. As Bertrand Russell observed of the English common law, clearly no one ought to speak ill of Christianity in such a way as to be likely to promote a breach of the peace. Those who use this argument do not, however, propose to extend the same protection to other religions. If you abuse Lenin to a communist until he gets so angry that he hits you on the nose, the communist is sent to prison. If the communist abuses Christ to you until you get angry so that you hit him on the nose, it is again the communist that is sent to prison. I think that's, uh, that's kind of a brilliant way to boil that down. I, I appreciate as Bertrand Russell often does, uh, kind of kind of puts it in a way that just kind of kind of clicks. He's 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 a, he's a master at at, at writing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was using Russell's teapot earlier today.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. All right. Um, in order to to show how this is still affecting the world today, we need to talk about. Um, where there are blasphemy laws um, still on the books, and you know I, I i would I would appreciate it if just once the the areas where all of these stories supposedly come from could be a little less predictable um, yeah, this is from Pew Research. Apostasy and blasphemy may seem to many like artifacts of history, but in dozens of countries around the world, laws against apostasy and blasphemy remain on the books and often are enforced. Last December, this was uh, uh, written in uh, 2014, so this is talking about December of 2013. Last December, for instance, authorities in Sudan charged 25 men for apostasy, the act of abandoning one's faith, including by converting to another religion. The men face the death penalty for following a different interpretation of Islam than the one sanctioned by the government. And in Pakistan, police are currently pursuing a Christian accused of sending an allegedly blasphemous poem to a friend. Blasphemy, defined as speech or actions considered to be contemptuous of God or the divine, is a capital crime in Pakistan. These people are fucking threatened by poetry. Well, and this is
0: what what jumped out at me as you're reading it was um, the men face death penalty for following a different interpretation of Islam than the one sanctioned by the government. I mean, this isn't even, you know, typically when we read about um, punishments in Islam, it's for, you know, atheism for for leaving it for apostasy, for leaving Islam for a different religion or something, but this is still following Islam. These people are still following Islam. They still consider themselves Muslims. They're just following a different sect a different way to interpret the Quran, and for that they're being uh, charged with actual crimes. Hmm. Uh, it, penal, it re- capital crimes, death penalty. They're just yeah. following the same religion, but you, you're using the wrong interpretation, so we're going to kill you.
1: It reminds me of uh, the Catholic and Protestant wars, where you're both, you're both Christian. You both believe in Jesus as the savior as the son of god all of the stuff that that creates your 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 uh, theology is intact you guys don't uh, disagree on any of the stuff that is supposed to actually matter and yet the level of hatred the blood shed during that period but that was you know like the 1500s we're talking about the second decade of the 21st century we're talking about now right. This is happening uh, in, in, in some uh, uh, Islam, uh, Islamic countries. Um, a new Pew Research Center analysis finds that as of 2014, about a quarter of the world's countries and territories, a quarter of the world's countries and territories, had anti-blasphemy laws or policies, and that more than 1 in 10 or 13% of the nations on earth had laws or policies penalizing apostasy. The legal punishments for such transgressions vary from fines to death. We counted and categorized these laws in twenty fourteen as part of our research for a major report on restrictions on religion around the world. This report, which examines both government restrictions on religion and social hostilities involving religion, relied on seventeen widely cited publicly available resource uh, sources, rather, from groups such as the U.S. State Department, the United Nations, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, and the International Crisis Group. We found that laws restricting apostasy and blasphemy are most common in the Middle East and North Africa, where eight 18 of the region's 20 countries, that's 90%, criminalized blasphemy, and 14, that's 70%, criminalized apostasy. While apostasy laws exist in only two other regions of the world, Asia Pacific and Sub-Saharan Africa, blasphemy laws can be found in all regions, including Europe, in 16% of countries and in the Americas, at 29% of the countries in the Americas. Um, Some blasphemy laws have been on the books for decades and have endured in spite of dramatic political and social changes. In Pakistan, for instance, blasphemy statutes have their origins in the country's colonial past when British rulers first introduced penalties for insulting any religious beliefs. These laws remained in effect after Pakistan's independence in 1947 and have since increased in severity. Pakistan is one of 12 of the 50 countries in the Asia-Pacific region, 24% that had blasphemy laws in 2014. And during that year, blasphemy laws were enforced in several of these 12 nations. For instance, in Burma or Myanmar, a New Zealander and two Burmese men were convicted of blasphemy after using an advertisement depicting Buddha with headphones to promote a bar. The men were sentenced to two and a half years in prison. Two and a half years in prison for doing an advertisement for your business in which Buddha is enjoying some tunes. And if anybody's going
0: to be chill about that, it's going to be Buddha.
1: For real, yeah. He doesn't care. I bet. Um, I bet he's I mean, into like Lana Del Rey.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what he was Y <laughs> like. You, you um, something you said up there with it, the the blasphemy laws, the statutes had their origins in the country's colonial past when the British rulers first introduced penalties for insulting any religious beliefs. That, that to me, kind of rings of British Empire's, like, attempt at, like, a separation of church and state sort of thing, like a freedom of religion kind of law mm-hmm. that America has, where not, not one religion is going to be above another religion. We're not going to hold any of that, so you can you're, you're free to practice any religion you want. It seemed like, a, like an attempt at that, like when the British were ruling it, they were like, you know what? You can't make fun of any religion. You can't go after any religion because every religion is sacred to someone, so we're just going to not touch them. And then after Pakistan gets its independence, they twist that into, yeah, if you speak out against Islam, we're going to go ahead and kill you.
1: This is why we should always err on the side of liberty. This is precisely why we should always err on the side of freedom. Um, they, this, Because this, you're right. It, it does, it does kind of feel like they were trying to be um, equal. We're just going to make it illegal to insult anybody's religion. That way we're not putting one religion over another. It's kind of a bastardization of secularism. What they should have done right. – what should be obvious is you should say anybody can insult any religion, right? and that's fine. They, they kind of they, – they went the wrong direction with a, with a valorous intent. All right. Um, Let me talk briefly about the Americas. In the Americas, 10 out of 35 countries, or 29%, had blasphemy laws, including the Bahamas, where the publication or sale of blasphemous material can be punished with up to two years' imprisonment. The United States does not have any federal blasphemy laws, but as of 2014, several uh, several U.S. states, including Massachusetts and Michigan – still had anti-blasphemy laws on the books. However, the speech and religion clause of the First Amendment in the U.S. Constitution would almost certainly prompt a court to ban the enforcement of any such law. Apostasy laws are less common worldwide. They are found in 25 countries in only three regions of the world. By far, the most countries with anti-apostasy measures were in the Middle East, uh, North Africa regions, 14 out of 20. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting point about the United States because um, when we were talking about this last night, I was thinking, you know we, we definitely want to want to be because most of our listeners are going to be in the united states we 're speaking English, um, we want to be able to touch on what 's going on in America, and there are still some uh, some blasphemy laws on the books I'm not going to get into the details um, Because I don't know how important it is There are weird laws in every state I'm pretty sure I remember that um, In Pennsylvania it is illegal according, according to state law It is illegal to sleep on top of a refrigerator While outdoors There are all kinds of silly yeah, weird it, laws
0: In Arkansas it's illegal To ride on public transportation On a Sunday with an ice cream cone In your back pocket <laughs> I mean so, – you know, you know.
1: there's stuff on the books, and I truly, truly doubt that any cop is going to go out and watch for that and, and nail somebody for it. And if they did, it would instantly become ridiculous nation- nationwide news, and public pressure would get – we should still get rid of these laws. We should yes, absolutely – they that should be illegal. on the books. But this is different than – you know. we don't want to draw a false comparison here where there are right. – technically, that's and, why I'm not going to get into the details. Because no um, one's
0: being killed in the streets mm-hmm. for blasphemy right. in the United States.
1: It doesn't, it doesn't matter what the laws say. They are, they are superseded by the Constitution. They should be removed. And
0: uh, more to the point, if they were killed in the streets for blasphemy in the United States, the people who killed them would be arrested, not uh, acquitted and given a pat on the back.
1: Precisely. Um, so we want to focus on where blasphemy laws are actually affecting people. That is a better use of our, of our time. Um, there are, there are countries in the world where as demonstrated in the first couple of stories, where this is, this is, uh, a, a real threat today. Um, you can, you can be arrested. You can be imprisoned as these, as these gentlemen were for, for having Buddha listen to headphones. Um, that's not happening in the United States. So if you've got, if you've got laws in your state that, uh, that, are make that outlaw blasphemy call your representatives you know get those off the books but that's not that's not job one that's not the priority right now um in in my view um places like iran are more right important to be
0: dealt with and talked about at the moment
1: i wanted to um talk a little bit about uh salman Rushdie. This, this is, it's hard to have a discussion about blasphemy and not point to this case. Um, and I think that uh, a lot of uh, our listeners who are um, uh, interested in, in secular ideas or are familiar with any kind of um, uh, famous atheists who, who discuss these kinds of matters um, are probably a little bit familiar. For those who, who don't have all of the information, Salman Rushdie is, a, uh, is, a, is an author. Um, he is uh, a British uh, Indian novelist, essayist um, He's fairly famous um, He's on uh, Real Time with Bill Maher like once a year um, He shows up there quite a bit I've seen him on, uh, on a lot of programs he's a, he's a public intellectual as well as a, uh, as a novelist um, The Satanic Verses was a book that he wrote in 1988 It was published in the United Kingdom in 1988 Um, and it's, uh, it's an, it's an interesting novel, um, uh, worth, worth reading, worth, worth having in your collection just because of the story that surrounds the publication of this book. Um, when he published it, many Muslims accused Rushdie of blasphemy, uh, and in 1989, the Ayatollah Rahula Khomeini of Iran issued a fatwa ordering Muslims to kill Rushdie, um, now, the, the, the first time you read that statement, you think, that's dumb and ridiculous. But numerous killings, attempted killings and bombings resulted from angry Muslims over the novel. Uh, the Iranian government backed the fatwa against Rushdie until 1998, when the succeeding government of Iranian President Mohammad Khatami said it no longer supported the killing of Rushdie. However, the fatwa remains in place um, – Without going into uh, too much detail, um, the the title, the Satanic Verses, refers to a legend of the Prophet Muhammad, uh, when a few verses were supposedly spoken to him as part of the Quran and then withdrawn on the grounds that the devil had sent them to deceive Muhammad into thinking they came from God. These Satanic Verses are found in verses 18 to 22 in Surat and Jim of the Quran, and by accounts... From Tabari, but is seldom mentioned in the first biography of Muhammad. The verses also appear in other accounts of the Prophet's life. They permitted prayer to three pre Islamic Meccan goddesses, uh, a violation of monotheism. The utterance and withdrawal of the so called satanic verses form an important subplot in the novel, which recounts several episodes in the life of Muhammad. The phrase Arab historians and later Muslims used to describe the incident of the withdrawn verses was not satanic verses. But the Karanik verses, um, the phrase satanic verses was unknown to Muslims and was coined by Western academics specializing in the study of Middle Eastern culture. Um, So he writes this book. People get get very upset. Uh, Khomeini uh, uh, puts out a a fatwa and says everybody who's a Muslim should go and try to kill this guy. And a whole bunch of people are like, sweet. And indeed, uh, they attempt to... um, To do that. Uh, In the United States, the FBI was notified of 78 threats to bookstores in early March 1989, thought to be a small proportion of the total number of threats. B. Dalton bookstore chain received 30 threats in less than three hours. Bombings of bookstores included two in Berkeley. In New York, the office of a community newspaper, the Riverdale Press, was all but destroyed by firebombs following the publication of an editorial defending the right to read the novel and criticizing the bookstores that pulled it from their shelves. But the United Kingdom was the country where violence against bookstores occurred most often and persisted the longest. Two large bookstores in uh, Charing Cross Road, London, uh, uh, Collets and Dillon's were bombed on the 9th of April. In May, explosions went off in the town of High Wycombe and again in London on King's Road. Other bombings included one at a large London department store in connection with the Penguin Bookshop inside the store and at the Penguin Store in York. Unexploded devices were found at Penguin Stores in Guildford, Nottingham, and Peterborough. Uh, In the United States, it was unavailable in about one-third of bookstores. In many others that carried the book, it was kept under the counter. Um, the fatwa remains in effect, and I believe that the reward for anybody uh, killing uh, Rushdie is is between three and six million dollars, um, uh, depending on on who is offering the funds. Um, this is this is a very very um, uh, famous example of of what can happen when when <laughs> blasphemy occurs. Uh, again, the grand threat here is a book. Um, The big concern here is what a dude put down on paper. You don't have to read it. You don't have to buy the book. Um, No art, no literature should be met with violence. This should be self-evident. This should be apparent to any thinking person. Um, But here we are. Um, It might be worth referencing for um, those who are interested in atheism that – uh, the famous public intellectual Christopher Hitchens was very close friends with Salman Rushdie. Um, uh, they they speak often about each other with great affection. And in, I, I believe, both uh, Hitch 22 and God is Not Great, both by Hitchens, uh, he talks about his friendship with Rushdie and talks about this case, the satanic versus controversy. In fact, I'm, I, if, if if memory serves, he talks about uh, Rushdie coming to Washington D.C., where Hitchens lived, and uh, uh, Hitchens and his and his family uh, putting Rushdie up, saying, "Hey, come come stay with us for a few weeks while you're here." Um, Rushdie indeed did that. Uh, Hitchens was eventually contacted by the State Department, who said they had intercepted threats not just against Rushdie, but publishing Hitchens' address and threatening him as well. Um, they encouraged him to move, uh, of course. Hitchens declined. Uh, he he refused to uh, to run from people that would use terror to tamp down the writings of a uh, individual. Um, but there's uh, there's there's a lot more to learn about that case, and it is very very fascinating. So I encourage anybody um, to uh, to look into that. Um, I think we also. Scott, we, we should probably since since we're talking about uh, famous examples how they affected culture we should probably mention uh, this one here um, when uh, this was this I remember I remember uh, uh, seeing this uh, this a few times this is kind of a, a famous moment um, uh, up here where uh, Sinead O'Connor was on uh, was on television and uh, tore up the uh, the Pope's picture do you have some information on that for us?
0: Uh, let me take a look here. Um, sorry. and I have a bunch of notes in here, so
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got it here. I yeah. found it. I found oh, it. Here we, go. here we go. You got it?
0: Uh, no, I don't. I see, I don't see the actual story. Sorry. Oh, no. Okay.
1: That's no right. I
0: got it. Okay, all right. (laughs) Um, Remembering why Sinéa tore up the Pope's picture on national TV. um, She performed in uh, an octopiola cover of Bob Marley's War on Saturday Night Live on October 3rd, 1992, rewriting a few of the lyrics to address child abuse in addition to the song's initial topics of racism and horrors of war. As she finished the song, she Produced and tore to shreds a photograph of Pope John Paul II shouting, Fight the real enemy. In his opening monologue the following week, while hosting SNL, actor Joe Pesci insisted that he had been in charge of the show. Had he been in charge of the show, he would have given O'Connor such a smack. This echoed an event from the previous year when O'Connor insisted that the national anthem not be played before her concert at a venue in New Jersey. Frank Sinatra, while performing at the same venue the next night, threatened to kick her ass. Um, and Jonathan King, a millionaire British television and, uh, millionaire, uh, British television recording record producer, and the executive producer of the BPI Awards, stated in an interview with Billboard that she needed to be spanked for her display of bad manners. Ten years later. King would be convicted of several counts of sexual assault on 14 and 15 year old boys and sentenced to seven years in prison. That's a, I just gotta take that in for a second. She ripped up a (laughs) photo of of the Pope saying, You should fight the real enemy, and uh, because of all abuse of children and all these things. And he's like, No, you should be spanked for that. And leave alone the fact that I also sexually assault little boys. (laughs)
1: Which means you kind of have to take his, his
0: oh, of, Yeah, oh,
1: you should be spanked. <laughs>
0: yeah, you should be spanked. You got to change that. Naughty, naughty girl. girl. Naughty spankings are in order. <laughs> I just, uh, I just had uh, Zoot turn on the beacon, which I just remembered is unfortunately grail shaped. Uh, let's see, um, sentenced to seven years in prison. By then, O'Connor had already earned a reputation as something of a loose cannon and a crazy woman after a series of radical public acts. And in the popular culture memory of the United States, O'Connor remains a crazy woman. Her act of speaking out against the uh, Catholic Church with that bold action remains, for many, a hysterical act. What she did was intentionally incendiary. Well back from the destroying <laughs> a picture of the Pope on live national television is the expected and one would imagine desired. But at the time, the Saturday Night Live incident was not well understood. At the time, the public was largely unaware of the sex abuse crisis hiding within the church. Uh, today, the world sees with increasing clarity just how deep the Catholic Church child abuse epidemic runs. It has been well documented that priests who baked young boys were in many cases simply moved from one parish to another greater numbers of children. Thousands of civil lawsuits have been brought against the church over five decades' worth of abuse cases around the world, including O'Connor's native island, resulting in settlements totaling billions of dollars. Um, Sinead O'Connor illuminated these issues with an angry and haunting act on live national television 22 years ago, and was issued a humor-coded, SNL-endorsed threat of physical violence in response. She was dismissed as deserving of a smack- more of a nuisance than a threat. She herself, <clears throat> a Catholic, and claims to be an ordained priest in a breakaway version of the church. She has in recent years struggled with mental illness. O'Connor became a lightning rod for electrical, an electrical storm of misogyny early in her career. She also publicly discussed pressure from her first record label to abort a pregnancy, and admissions of the struggle with emotionally instability. emotional instability have made her easily dismissed character.
1: It's uh, just another um, very, very famous um, uh, story of, of blasphemy actually uh, impacting at least popular culture. Uh, and, and certainly the actions taken in response to you know, the rights of a photograph being torn um, turns into, into violent, ugly, inexcusable. Uh, backlash um, without without jumping into uh, a whole bunch of detail um, i also wanted to mention the piss christ uh, very famous um, uh, probably famous only because of how provocative and controversial it was uh, piece of art um, there was a, a an artist uh, and um, his his artwork piece consisted of uh, a jar of his own urine And inside of it, he submerged a small uh, figure of Christ, like a plastic white crucifix. Uh, And then, you know, he sealed the jar and put that on display. Um, There are are lots of interpretations of of what the art means, um, but there ended up being a lot of threats made against that being on display uh, they eventually had to move it from the gallery that it was in because they also had a collection of Rembrandts and they were very concerned that if somebody attacked Piss Christ, they would damage the Rembrandt artwork as well. So they, uh, they moved it. Um, and after they moved it, it was attacked by some, uh, I believe, American Christians who uh, uh, actually uh, uh, attacked, if memory serves, a print of it, like a photograph of the actual piece of art. Uh, and they like stormed into a a gallery and destroyed that and another piece of art by the same artist. It it's 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 remarkable to me that that such feelings can be stirred. I, I mean, I, I am I am not a stranger to being offended. I am offended by these reactions. Um, it it, it just it doesn't it doesn't cease to amaze me how uh, the lengths that people are willing to go in order to seek revenge on the people that have offended them through. Um, words or art or literature or or what have you. Um, uh, we all remember the Charlie Hebdo attacks. Uh, it was just a few years ago. Uh, Charlie Hebdo was a was a, was a cartoon uh, magazine in France, uh, and they published uh, a cartoon magazine and they uh, depicted the uh, the Prophet Muhammad and they were um, attacked um, in in I mean a, a big scale thought-out tactical assault uh, with machine guns and tactical gear and balaclavas and, and the, the, the whole nine yards. There was an assault um, in France on the Charlie Hebdo building. Uh, people were killed. Uh, and was, then continued
0: for two days after that. Other as they
1: tried to catch the perpetrators, yeah. Um, uh, we remember the uh, Danish cartoonist. Uh, who was attacked, and and uh, who was there were calls all across the Middle East from uh, Muslim clerics and and authority figures in the religion for uh, for him to be attacked. In fact, that whole incident is surrounded by lies. He he depicted the prophet. Uh, he he actually just he did a series of of like uh, a few cartoons, uh, and Muslims didn't like it. But the the, uh, the the Muslim authorities who wanted to get people upset about this. Added an extra cartoon that was uh, apparently, according to to people that that find blasphemous offensive, much worse than what the artist had actually done. They got an image of what was supposed to be Muhammad wearing a pig snout. It wasn't. It was just an image from like. Uh, somewhere else in in Europe, just an image of of a, of, a, of an actor of a man wearing a pig nose. They said, "Look, this is how they're portraying Muhammad." Tacked it on with the rest of the cartoons, blamed this guy, and then called for the uh, for the death of the of the uh, prime minister of this country for not arresting the cartoonist. Um, they, they they on in this case, it's it's amazing to me because blasphemy. They weren't actually they, – they didn't actually get mad at like blasphemy. They wanted something to be mad about, and so they took something that was blasphemy adjacent, and they added actual blasphemy to it to make it more potent, then spent a few months going around and showing it to Muslims to make them mad to send them to kill somebody. Like I don't know what the, what the, what the motivation here is. Are you are, – is, is, is violence something that you just want in the news? You're trying to associate yourself? To,
0: like the end game was the violence, and so right. how do we get there?
1: It wasn't even, even if blasphemy was a justifiable was reason the, to get uh, or something.
0: Who was the filmmaker that was killed in, um, oh, I want to say Amsterdam, but I could be wrong. Um, he made a, uh, I don't even remember the title of the film, but it was it was something to do with. Sex in, uh, in, in in Islam and uh, a woman, uh, Islamic woman, you know, takes her her hijab off and, and everything else. But he was murdered in the street.
1: That sounds familiar. Van I don't, God. I don't know the story offhand, but that does sound familiar.
0: It's yeah. not, it's just like yeah, violence is the end game. but Let's justify it by any means necessary. We can we can just claim that blasphemy is just the. The end all be all of sin and, you know. We are peaceful. You know, you've seen us be peaceful all the way up until someone does that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We're only not peaceful when someone does that.
1: You get to a point where you are you are looking for an excuse. But, and when but, the world doesn't... but it's
0: like that that, it, that it's obvious. It should be obvious to us all that just words of course should be met with murder and response can't you see that we're we're peaceful until this moment wouldn't you also murder at that moment it just makes sense to murder after that moment Mm -hmm. in their worldview and i can't wrap my mind around that
1: right well we'll um we've got a few more examples and um i'll i'll uh uh, one of us will will put those on twitter so that people that uh, are, are are still curious can, uh, can, can peruse and, and have a look at some of the other examples that, that, we, that we didn't talk about um, tonight. I mean, there's no end to them. Th- this, is, this is an ugly and, and a- uh, ancient concept that is bizarrely um, still going on. Bertrand Russell said that every good idea starts out as blasphemy. We can see this statement proven again and again through history the burning of heretics, the imprisonment of scientists, the rejection of empiricism and intellectual achievement, all justified because progress is so often offensive to God. When maintaining the ideas held by doctrine becomes more valuable than discovery, more precious than self-determination, and more pressing than human life, cognitive dissonance has made the fatal leap from being a bad habit to being a standard for governing. Blasphemy suggests that there are idols, religious ideas, characters, and texts That are so great they must be defended in this world against the thoughts and words of men. It holds that an object or an idea is so sacred that simply to speak against it without the proper respect should be met with hatred or violence. It supposes that there are ideas that are off limits from criticism and that mockery or irreverence is on par or indeed even more egregious than acts of violence against a fellow being. It empowers the clergy, the church or the state to persecute the act of speaking. Monotheism claims that there is an omnipotent and omniscient deity that is master of all things. He is supreme in every conceivable way, rules over all reality, and judges humans before they die. I'm sorry, after they die. His domain is endless, extending over the earth, heaven, and hell. His gaze is inescapable. Its power is absolute. Blasphemy as a concept as a concept, implies that this god is capable of insult and must be protected from it. Religion appoints itself to be the interpreter of this being's will and takes it upon itself to declare what is and is not offensive to him. It explains with a straight face that after death, humans face a detailed series of events which lead to judgment and damnation unless certain requisites have been met in order to earn the person salvation from their deserved damnation in the pit of agony. God is the only judge and his wrath is meant to inspire fear. Why then concern oneself with the supposed blasphemy of others at all? Does the arrogance of the believer extend even to doing God's job for him? Is he so insecure, so vulnerable, that his reputation must be defended on pain of death in this realm? Why do theists have such little faith in God's ability to judge man for himself? Why rob the worshipful dictator above of his right? Are the hurt feelings of the prime mover so pressing that we cannot wait for his perfect plan to claim the life of the blasphemer? Can we not rely on God? to judge and defend himself unaided. Mark Twain posed this rhetoric. Blasphemy? No, it is not blasphemy. If God is as vast as all that, he is above blasphemy. If he is as little as all that, he is beneath it. Indeed, how odd that the self-involved faithful think God so small that he can be affected by the mocking tone of a non-believer. Odder still that he can't take care of the organized That he can't take care of the organized syllables of mere mortals himself. This entire concept smacks of self-appointed power of the religious hierarchy, who throughout history have taken as much authority over the thoughts and words of people as they could possibly seize. If your ideas are so great, if your texts so perfect, then surely they cannot be threatened by critique. Yet they are. Religion is determined to defend itself against the tongues of the detractors with torture and death. What better way to protect the teachings of peace? As autonomous beings, as free citizens, as sentient primates, what defense against tyranny could be more fundamental than the freedom of speech? And yet the backwards approach of religion wishes to remove this most valued right as too much power in the hands of the non-believer. Let me say this clearly. No idea is off limits from criticism. No scripture is so holy it must be free of ridicule. No notion can be segregated from discourse. To sacrifice this intellectual liberty in oneself or deny it of another is to trample on the very fabric of freedom. When an idea becomes too dangerous for consideration, it instantly becomes necessary. I call on all free people to attack the entire notion of blasphemy as preposterous, unhealthy, and vile. The first threat against a a secularism or religious equality is a law against blasphemy. Call this out wherever you find it. Stand up for those charged with this victimless crime. Refuse to be silenced. Never back down from criticizing bad ideas and never submit to those who would command your silence. Thought and words are our tools. They lead to liberty, to knowledge, and to enlightenment itself. When they are perceived as a threat, take it as a sign that you are on the right track. We must never surrender our minds or our voices, especially if their use frightens the bullies of religion. God damn it, never stop thinking. We want to thank everybody, as we do every week, for being here on the show to listen to what we have to say, to engage with us here and on Twitter. We did not get any callers, but we will post our first uh, Logic That Fallacy vignette on Twitter so that everybody can peruse it maybe with a little more time and figure out what the fallacy was. Give us your answers, and we will talk about them next week on the show. Follow El Duterino, that is Scott, and follow myself, Dopinephrine, on Twitter and on Periscope. Give some love to Young Athlon399 and all Hallows Night on those platforms as well. You can follow our show on Twitter and on Periscope at ISMPodcast Podcast underscore. We appreciate everybody being here. We appreciate the interactions that we get on social media. We very much want you to consider becoming a patron of ours in order to help us continue making the best possible show that we can. It's been a lot of fun. We look forward to seeing you guys again next Wednesday.